You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Well, as I said earlier, we have a very special guest today. Uh, he is the former youth pastor at Epping Church of Christ. He is the learning support manager at Australian College of Ministry, ACOM, which we have many students here studying through ACOM. Uh, Steve also uh, looks after all of the youth and the young adults throughout Church of Christ in New South Wales. So he's got a fairly big portfolio. He's a dynamic speaker and he's an absolute legend. So why don't we give it up, a nice big round of applause to Steve Hodgson. Come on up. Uh, Thanks very much, Michael. I was a bit nervous if you're speaking somewhere and they give you a really big introduction. Set the bar way too high, so I'm an average speaker, I'll put it that way, but um, it's a pleasure to be here this morning to, to speak, and it's, it's a real honour actually. As Michael said, I get to work with Fresh Hope, which is um, Churches of Christ resourcing arm, and, and my role is to work alongside churches and youth pastors and young adult leaders across our state, just encouraging them really. Um, we've got some incredible young people doing great work with youth and young adults across the church. I know you've got a really great team here under the uh, incredible Kafel Eye of Kristen Haddon and, uh, and, and they do an amazing work and it's so important. I love getting to build into that and encourage that because the reality is that for our churches, um, if we aren't focusing on the next generation coming through, uh, then we're only really one step away from disappearing. Um, and so as churches, we have a great responsibility to continue to build into the young people in our midst. And, and I'm excited when I get to come to churches and, and visit and sometimes speak, sometimes just attend, but just to see what they're doing. And, uh, and I know Northside well. Um, I know Sam very well. He actually happens to be my brother-in-law. Um, and I thought it could be a mistake. He's just become senior pastor, and his first person he invites to come and speak is his brother-in-law, and I could, I could bring him undone. I'm not sure here. So, um, so just make sure all the feedback he receives is really positive, okay? Um, and if it's no good, we'll wipe the podcast. But... Um, uh, but it's a pleasure to be here this morning, and, uh, and thank you for having me. I, I suppose this morning I'm, I'm going to share a message that is really something I think God's been working on my heart. And I, I think it's something that as we journey through our progression of our life of faith, particularly those of us who've been in the church for a long time, it's something that we begin to wrestle with. And the question I want to ask you this morning uh, as we jump into God's Word is this, is when you look at your relationship with God, Are you trying to live your faith independently from God or are you constantly becoming more dependent upon him? Because the invitation of faith is always an invitation to dependence upon God. Uh, And it's a tough journey, actually, because it goes against everything within us. Uh, But it's such an important one that we learn and we grow in always throughout our faith. So I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll jump into God's word. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning that we can gather as your family. Thank you that you have more desire to meet with us and speak with us than we do to meet with you. And this morning we ask that you might speak into our hearts. We might learn that we might grow and your word might come alive within us. Amen. The journey of human development is actually one that's always from dependence towards independence. Uh, We begin life completely dependent. If you think about uh, a a woman who is pregnant, she has a life within her that has no life of its own. In fact, it's completely dependent upon the mother. And uh, a child is born, and for those of us who have become parents, it's a daunting task to recognise that suddenly this life 
is 100% dependent upon you. It can do nothing on its own. This life relies upon you for everything, from the most menial of things through the most important of things, it relies upon you. And, and from that point on, life becomes about gaining independence. I have an 18-month-old daughter, and I'm enjoying the experience of parenthood. Her most common phrase at the moment, that as she's starting to learn to speak, is simple. It's, me do it. Me do it. We're sitting around the dinner table and food is flying everywhere. You think, I'll come and save the situation. And you grab the spoon and, me do it, me do it, me do it. You go to sit with her and you begin to draw a picture and she takes the pencil out of your hand. Me do it, me do it. It's this experience of wanting to control and, and to learn and to grow. And it's part of life. And as we grow, we, we became more and more independent. There's this interesting thing that happens as we become adults, we actually separate from our family and we begin our own family, really. Uh, we're fully independent, financially independent. We may own our own house. Relationally, we're no longer necessarily tied to our parents. I don't know if you've heard of this phenomenon that's happening in Australia at the moment, but it's been talked about a fair bit over the last couple of years, and it's, it's called the failure to launch syndrome. Traditionally, people grow to independence around about 18 21, they sort of learn that they need to take responsibility for their own life. They step out from the constraints of their family and they go into the big wide world to discover it for themselves. In Western countries, predominantly, this is being put off later and later. In fact, it's not unusual, and, and sorry, young men in the room, but this is particularly predominant amongst young men, it's not unusual for young men to still be at home into their 30s dependent upon their parents for their living. And, and it's not that they couldn't necessarily be independent, but there's this sense that independence of life has shifted to actually when I can construct the lifestyle I desire for myself. Uh, the failure to launch syndrome has given rise to um, a description. It's, they're called kippers, these young men who stay at home. Kids in parents' pockets eroding retirement savings. And we kind of laugh about it and think, oh, it's a bit funny. But, but the reality is, if we don't grow to independence, there's actually something wrong. It results in a, in a life that really doesn't quite live fully. And society, socially, our society can actually be affected. This pursuit of independence is actually really core to who we are as people. Interesting as you start to cast your mind forward, I'm not that old, and so I'm not thinking yet about end of life. But as you cast your mind forward, for many people, the, the fear of age is not so much death as it is losing independence. The fear that I may lose my ability to drive. The fear that I may be dependent upon the government for, for income. The fear, the fear that I may lose the capacity to be independent in my body and I'm dependent upon someone else for, for showering, for bathroom. For... Independence is core to who we are. And life is about growing towards independence. We, we live in a culture, though, that somehow kind of it lifts independence to a place that it doesn't necessarily deserve. In some ways, we actually begin to idolise independence. See, our culture links independence with freedom, with meaning, with identity. The pursuit of the independent life to make it on my own, to be a self-determined person is so driven by our society. Uh, there's this famous poem by a, by a writer named William Ernest Henley. It's 
It's called Invictus. In fact, he didn't give it a name, but it was named Invictus later. And you may have heard this from the movie of the same name, where Nelson Mandela gives to the captain of the South African rugby team this poem to inspire him. And the last stanza of this poem says it like this. It says, It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the master of my soul. It's a beautiful, stirring poem. It stirs us to action. It stirs us to, to, to self-belief. But it captures the spirit of our age. I am who I make myself to be. I am an independent being. I will make my own way in this life. I will make my own lifestyle. I will make my own decisions. I will make it on my own. If people get in my way, I'll push them aside. I can do it. By myself, me do it, me do it, as an 18-month-old may say. And our society encourages this, saying that the independence is the path to freedom. If you're not truly independent and you're tied down somewhere, then how can you really be free? And especially for young adults, that's a message that we hear all the time. Don't commit yet, don't commit yet, don't commit yet. Hold yourself together and just allow anything to be your opportunity. That's what freedom's about. It's about meaning. If, I, if I'm not independent and making my own way, what is the meaning of my life? I want to set out on my own. It's interesting that the reality is that we are very dependent people. The, the, the hope of self-mastery, of self-direction, of control actually just masks the fact that we have very little control. For those of you who had the opportunity to travel to Madagascar, as we saw in that video, one of the humbling experiences of being on mission in another country is to recognize how little we really control our own circumstances. I didn't control the country I was born into. I didn't control the family I was born into. Or the genetics I received from them. I don't even control my education. I control some decisions I make, but I don't control the people who make decisions around about me. And, and when I start to put that picture together, I recognize that the illusion of me being in control of my circumstances, of being a self-determined person, is just that, an illusion. If we start to take a deeper look into the human life, we, we become to realize that to be human actually requires others. In a culture that, that loves the vision of independence, we're taught about this idea of an enclosed identity, that I form my identity within myself, absent from others. I am who I am. And I'll decide what that looks like. Interestingly, from a biblical perspective, in the beginning, God, and he says, we will create humankind in our image. The very being who created us, the triune God, lives eternally in relationship. And we are created in his image. We are beings created for relationship. We only discover the fullness of who we are in relationship with the other. There's this young man in the 90s named Christopher McCandless from America. He grew up in a well-off middle American family, went to college, studied law. When he finished college, he decided that he wanted to go and discover the meaning of life. And he set off all by himself, an independent traveler, trekking across the United States. Uh, his life was made famous in a, in a book and a movie of the same name called Into the Wild. 
He was 24 at the time and he set off and he eventually tracks all by himself off into Alaska where he finds himself trapped in this bus that is a hideout for hikers who get stuck by the weather. And the story is incredibly sad. All by himself, he, he, he lives for a while in what he thinks is the great joy of independence and aloneness and making his own way in the world. But slowly over time, he, he actually starves to death. His journal was found about four months after he'd passed away. And one of his last entries wrote this. He said, Happiness is only real when shared. You see, the core of our being, we are made to be with. We are made for relationship, not independent beings creating our own way in the world, but interdependent in relationship. It's really interesting if we think about this idea of independence, that that the biblical story places independence at the root of humanity's problem. Places independence at the, the root cause of the problems we see in the world. They're in the garden with everything they could possibly ever want. The world at their fingertips in, in relationship with God. Adam and Eve attempted by the serpent with a statement, Oh, no, no, no. If you eat this, you will become like God. You will be master of your own fate. You'll be master of your own soul. And, and the Old Testament unravels of, of this journey of Israel, but swinging between dependence upon God, upon the God who gives them life, who breathes into their being, and independence from God, trying to make their way in the world as a self-made nation, self-made people. We could look at it as the journey of a father chasing the independent heart of their adolescent child. Come back to me, come back to me. In relationship with me, you will discover who you truly are. And this continues to be our story. This inner temptation to be independent from God. To be self-determined, self-made. Controlling the outcome of my days, of my life, of my relationships, of my work. Even to the point of controlling the outcome of my religion. This, this, this drive to be independent is, is so core to who we are and shared to us through so many ways that even for us who have discovered God, even for us who are on this spiritual journey, we can find ourselves in a place where we are living an independent religion from God rather than a dependent relationship with God. It's this self-sufficient spirituality where in some senses, if God turned up today or not, it wouldn't matter. In fact, if God did not turn up in my life for the last six months, it would not really matter. I would just continue on as I always have. This writer, Sky Jathani, writes this book, And he talks about four postures of independence. He talks about this idea of life from God, this religious experience where we know God, we believe in God, yet we're not living dependent upon him. He says this idea of life from God where we want God's blessings, but we don't want God himself. It's actually the experience of probably most Australians who have some sense of the divine, some sense that there is a being out there. And and if I just do a little bit enough, 
to show that I'm kind of for him and his blessings will be in my life. I'll attend at Easter and I'll attend at Christmas and that's probably enough just to tick the boxes. I want God's blessings, but I don't really want him. The second one, he talks about this life over God, where in some ways, although we may believe in God, we bypass God to get the outcomes in our life. And it sounds silly, oh, why would you do that? But, but in all honesty, it's something that we do. I know when I was in ministry as a youth pastor, there would be times when it was probably too difficult and too pressing to sit in the presence of God and pray than it would be just to create a plan of my own and go for it. God, if you won't do it, I'll just go and do it myself and I'll get the outcome I want for my life. Of course I believe in you. Of course I love you, but I'm just going to go and do it because you're too slow to respond. You're too quiet to respond. He talks about this life under God where there's cause and effect of law. There's this curse and blessing. If I do what God says to do, it'll go well. If I don't do what God says to do, it'll go badly. It's the epitome of religiosity. We play the game to get the results that we want. And finally, he says this life for God, which, which to be honest, in, in evangelical Christianity, this is something that we champion. The greatest life is the life given to good works for God. In fact, that's the life God smiles on more. They're really subtle. But if we look at our hearts, I think I know for myself, I can, I can see each of these coming into play in the way I relate to God. Sometimes I am over God. Sometimes I'm under God, law and curse. Sometimes I'm for God, where surely God will smile upon me because I'm doing so much good work for him. All of these have a belief in God, yet the subtlety is this, that all attempt to control the relationship with God. If I do this, I will get that. Ultimately, I'm still independent from God. Because these stances to God are dependent on our provenness to receive grace from God, to receive love from God. I've done enough. I've ticked the boxes. God should give me grace. I've proven myself. It's this pseudo-spirituality. Colossians 2, 21 23 speaks about it, where Paul actually says it has the appearance of wisdom. It has the appearance of power, but it lacks it. It's not really what God has called us. And I wonder if, if in some ways these postures that we talk about here are actually the reason why, for many people, Christianity seems unfulfilling. Seems frustrating. Becomes a source of guilt and angst and shame rather than of freedom and joy and love that the scriptures talk about. Micah 6, 6 to 8, that famous question, with what shall I come before the Lord? With offerings, with sacrifices. What is it that God would be pleased with? It's this question that we ask in our heart. God, just tell me what you want from me and I'll do it. You see, our spirituality and our standing before God is still in our own hands and we forfeit grace. Grace. 
Matthew 18 has this incredible passage in it. If you've got your Bibles, this is a great passage to look at. Jesus is traveling with his disciples along the road. And they're discussing a question. And they come to him in Matthew 18, 1. They say this. At this time, the disciples came to Jesus. They've been with him for a while now. They know what's going on. They've heard this talk about the kingdom of God and who can be part of this. And they ask this question. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's it's actually a question of independence. It's a question of provenness. Mark records a similar scene. Perhaps the same scene records it slightly different. He says that along the road, the disciples were arguing. And Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? And he says they were scared to tell him because they were arguing over who was the greatest. Oh, Peter, you're not that great. You keep doubting him. You told him off when you said he was Messiah, and then he told what's going to happen. You told him off, Peter, you're not that great. Oh, I'm great. Remember when he sent us out? Remember how many people I healed? Remember that demon who you guys couldn't cast out? Well, boom, I did it. I think I'm the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Judah sparks up, well, you guys think you are, but he's entrusted me with the purse, the money for our party. I'm the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And they argue amongst themselves, who has made it in terms of God's measurement for who's in and who's out? Who has proven themselves enough? It's the rich young ruler who approaches Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you know the law, he says. And he says, oh, I've done these, all of these things. What else do I need to do? We own and hold on to control of our own spirituality before God. I will hold it tight with both hands so that I can prove that I'm worthy, that I'm enough. I wonder if you've ever found yourself wanting to be able to prove your worth before God. The conversation continues in verse 2. He calls a little child to himself. And he placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow, that's kind of harsh. It's not a matter of who is greatest. It is actually all about the posture of your life. Unless you become like a little child, you won't even enter or get or understand or experience the kingdom of heaven. All your provenness will never get you there. And I've got to correct, sometimes we read this, we go, become like a child. What does that mean? Well, oh, maybe it becomes simple faith. I don't know if it's simplicity that is the thing. Because we're not simple beings. We think and we wonder and we... And I don't think it's about dumbing it down and just being blind in our faith. I don't think that's what Jesus invites us to. It's actually about the heart and the posture of a child. It's about the dependent life. The child who stands amongst them in their culture is the least of these. That's the paradox of the kingdom. Who's the greatest? Well, it's actually the one who is the least. Life is gained not by grasping it for yourself and controlling it, by letting it go and letting God. Unless you become like a little child. You see, we are great in the kingdom when we understand our leastness. 
The reality of the kingdom is that life is not found in moving from dependence to independence from God. God, I've made it. I get it now. I get the Christian thing. I got it sorted. I can do it on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Not a problem. It's actually opposite. Moving from independence from God to dependence upon God. Where slowly I recognize that the independent life that I aspire to, that I grab hold of, that my culture tells me is what is meaning and freedom, identity, is actually the very thing that is pulling me away from experiencing the goodness of God in my life. You see, the kingdom is not grasped by those who hold on to their provenness, but by those who understand their absolute poverty. The kingdom is not grasped by those who hold on to their provenness, but by those who understand their absolute poverty. The one common factor in the scriptures with those who encounter the glory of God is that when they encounter him, they recognize their nothingness. It's Moses before the burning bush. Who am I? I am not worthy. I cannot. I have nothing to bring. It's Elijah in the cave. Who am I, Lord? I am am no one before you. It's Job at his questioning when he says, I knew of you, but now my eyes have seen you and I, I repent in dust and ashes. It's Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. Lord, I'm just a sinful man. Please go away from me. It's Saul on Damascus Road. You see, it's this idea of poverty of spirit. It sounds kind of harsh. But it's the nature of a child when they realize, I can't do anything to add to my spiritual stature before God. I can't do anything to earn my place with God. I can bring nothing of value to God that is not his anyway. I have nothing to stand on, nothing to build an image on before him. It's Paul, when he speaks the church in Philippians, says, whatever was to my prophet, I now consider a loss. The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus. Now, now let me just, as a side note here, this this is not about self-hatred or self-degradation. It's not about bringing ourselves down, oh, I'm so horrible. That's false humility. It's about learning dependence where, God, you are everything. The great statement of the life of faith could be summed up as this. All is grace. We don't often live a thankful life because our society has told us that we have deserved what we've attained. But the person of faith recognizes that all is from the hand of the Father. That I'm only in the position I am because God has given me that. I only have the health because God has chosen to give me health. I only have life in him. All is grace. You see, the posture of a child doesn't come to a parent knowing they have something to bring and they have to earn and prove themselves. They come excitedly because they know they are loved. They come excitedly because they know in the presence of their mother or their father, they are wanted. Not because of what they can bring, but because they are loved. It's the dependent life. It's the life that Jesus models to us. If anyone was to live an independent life on his own, it was the Son of God incarnate into the world. Yet yet Jesus' posture before the Father was always one of absolute dependence. 
In John 5, he says this beautiful line. He says, the son can do nothing on his own. He does only what he sees the father doing. When Luke is writing the story of Jesus' life, he makes every effort to show that everything that occurred in Jesus' life flowed out of the presence and the power and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Holy Spirit. He preached by the Holy Spirit. He, he healed by the Holy Spirit. He was full of joy by the Holy Spirit. His was a dependent life where he received from the Father the life to live. Every step, every move, every decision, every outcome was the Father's. It was a gift. It was all about life with the Father, not provenness. And this is the life that we're invited into. Losing ourselves into the life of God. And in the life of God, we actually find true freedom. We find our true selves and we find the capacity to love. Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Becoming a child means learning again the posture of dependence. And then finding the freedom of life in Christ with God. There's three things I want you to ask of yourself from this. Or three things I want you to take away. The first is this. The posture of trust. The freedom to let go. You've all heard the saying, you know, I slept like a baby. If you're a young parent, that's a ridiculous saying. But we get it, right? We get the idea. Babies sleep so well because they carry no worries of the world with them. Their head hits the pillow at night time. And apart from wanting more time with mum and dad, they're not concerned about what's going to be happening tomorrow. They're not stressing about the things that have happened today, about whether or not their, their scribble drawing with crayons was good enough to go on the fridge or not. They hit the pillow and they sleep so well. When was the last time you slept like a baby? The independent life carries so much responsibility and holds it all together. I've got to, I've got to work it out. I've got to sort this out. I've got to sort that out. I've got, to, I've got to control my life and hold it together the way that I want it to be and make it the life I want it to be because that's what I'm told. I'm a self-made person. I determine where I end up. I can't let it go because if I let it go, this life will fall apart and crumble before me. And I won't have the life that I so long and desire. It's so fascinating that, that the greatest ills or, or diseases that our society in the West suffers from are lifestyle illnesses such as stress, anxiety, Mental health issues related to the fact that we hold everything together so much because we're sold this lie that we control it all. And we don't. And the more we try and control our life, the less we will sleep like a baby. And God stands and he says, hand it over to me. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, do not worry about tomorrow. When was the last time you went to bed not worrying about tomorrow? I definitely did worry about today. You guys are scared. No, you're not scary. We worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you wear or what you look like. Don't worry about what you will eat or your house, your money. Or your... 
Is not your Father in heaven good enough, great enough, strong enough, powerful enough to take care of these things? You see, the invitation to life with God is invitation to trust, to place our life in the hand of him who controls all things. This author writes about faith and trust. Faith is the process by which we let God direct our lives or let God be God. God calls us continually to recognize his presence in our lives and to respond. The spiritual or the faith journey is a first a movement of individual choice toward acknowledgement of who God is. It's our invitation to God to take control of all aspects of our lives. Peter writing on a similar theme in his letter 1 Peter 5, he says this, Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. When, when, I, when I read that the other day in my quiet time, I got stuck because he cares for you. Can I honestly say I, I, I genuinely can cast my anxiety on him because I think that he cares for me in all things, in every situation, in everything I face? Can I actually walk through the day without worrying about the outcome because I know he cares for me? Do you believe that? Are you willing, are you able to let go and trust? Seems like a silly question when the God we serve created the universe. The second is this, humility, humility, the freedom to be. We are so image conscious and image driven and how do people perceive me? And I don't think it's only me who takes three shots to get dressed in the morning. What will people think? How will they perceive me? How will they think of, uh, of my marriage when they see us walking down the street together? Should we hold hands so people think we're in love more than we are? How will, they, how will they perceive of my work? Do, do I need to kind of hide the stuff I haven't done well? We're so image conscious and image driven. Humility is being okay with who we are. Releasing the pressure to impress, to please, to prove my worth and value. You see, a child's not concerned about people's opinions of them, really. They're not worried by what people will think of their clothing. In fact, they don't choose it. They're not particularly worried by what people think of their, their scribbles on a piece of paper. They're not particularly concerned. They are humble in heart. They don't feel the need to play a role to fulfill expectations. Yet we do. We hold on to this pride of projecting this image to the world that we control rather than just being okay to be me. Brennan Manning, in a book called The Relentless Tenderness of Jesus, he writes this. He says, Jesus calls all of us to let go of the desire to appear good, to give up the appearance of being good, the preoccupation with projecting the perfect image, with being a model Christian and edifying others with our virtues. This leads to self-consciousness, sticky pedestal behavior and bondage to human respect. We are driven by the desire to please and have people's approval rather than being okay with just who we are. You see, humility allows the freedom to be me. I can accept me as I am, not as, not as I think I should be, not as, not as my society says I should be, not as, not as the people that I am around say I should be. 
but just as I am, I can, I can be okay with me. I don't have to worry about the clothing, the job, the achievements, the things that I put on to mask to reveal who I truly am. And it's beautiful because it actually gives me freedom to be loved. So often as Christians, we can be actually stuck in our faith because we're unwilling to accept that we are loved unconditionally by God, just as we are. I know I am. I know I'm loved. I know you love me, God. But there must be something else I have to do. There must be something else that earns me that. And that little whisper and voice of independence and provenness comes in and robs us of the joy of his love. You see, I don't control God's relationship to me by the way I look, by things I have done, things that earn his respect or his approval. It's all grace. He loves me not because of what I bring, but because I am his. John writes this, he says, How great is the love that he has lavished upon us, that we might be called children of God. And finally, this learning dependence and finding freedom allows us to be vulnerable. To drop the walls that protect me and my identity. And to let them down and just be who I am. And the beauty of vulnerability is that it creates a community of genuine acceptance. Genuine love where we don't parade in there on our pedestal because we have earned a place with God and therefore have a right to look down on others. But we recognize before God who we are, how we are accepted and how we loved. And that person right next to us is just as accepted and just as loved as us. I don't need to judge them. I don't need to have an opinion over whether they're good or not good. They are who they are. God loves them unconditionally and so should I. What a beautiful picture of the church. The freedom to love, to give ourselves to others because God loves us. It's so sad the church from society is so often viewed as very judgmental. When if there is one place where people should be able to walk and be open and vulnerable and feel absolute acceptance, it is this place here. So how are you doing at having a childlike spirit before God? Are you wrestling inside with the life of, and the faith of independence? I will show you, God. I will show you. I'll prove to you. Or can you stand secure and safe and assured that I am loved? I am accepted. And he wants me. And I am dependent upon him for my life, for all things, because he is my good heavenly father whom I love. Let me pray. Lord, we want to thank you that you are our Heavenly Father. Thank you that you are the one who invites us to life with you. Not based upon our provenness, not based upon our achievements, not based upon what we bring, but because you are good and you are love. Lord, may we drop the masks we wear and the veneers we put up around us and the constant desire to be independent of you. And may we learn the walk of dependence. May we learn the life of the kingdom. Amen.